Hi, welcome back to Cheese and Crackers. I'm Krista. And I'm Bria. And last episode we had our guest Chris on where he kind of talked about what the weekend was like for him and how my dad actually got arrested because of the pool slicing incident. The pool slicing incident was actually what they considered a violation of the protective order because they had already read it to him at the time and while he was gathering his clothes and stuff he'd went out into our garage and taken a box cutter out of our toolbox and went out the side door and went around and put several slashes in the liner. So there's a couple things we want to back up and tell listeners about. The pool was something that the girls and I enjoyed and always wanted. So when he'd go on his motorcycle rides or he'd go do his thing, that was his hobby and his stuff and the pool was more ours. He always let it be known that it wasn't his idea and he didn't like it. He didn't like messing with the chemicals or hooking up the sand filter in the pool pump each summer, which really is not that much work. It was just an inconvenience to him. When our last pool we took it out, he said it was the best day of his life. So so the only reason this pool happened was due to the fact that my back was broken and things had escalated. This was the how I'm going to fix it and keep them happy because I'm tired of hearing them complain and because I know I went too far kind of thing. That's how we ended up with this pool and it had just gotten put in that summer. Yeah, it was brand new that year. It was, or I mean I should say it, it is because we still have it, a 30 foot round above ground pool and it's sitting on like six inches of concrete. So our pool prior shifted due to living in the country and the ground settling and now this time we made sure that this new pool won't so really the only way for it to get ruined is with the help of somebody else or being sabotaged when chris told us about the pool later on that evening he went home and actually sent me a picture and this was probably even more disturbing than the pool getting cut but it was a picture of a side table next to a bed and it had the box cutter laying on it and he talked about how my strange husband considered that his trophy and it was something that made him happy every night when he went to bed. Yeah he'd look at the red box cutter and it would remind him of how he slashed the pool and how he made it where we couldn't swim which I mean we still ended up getting a new liner so we could swim but that was besides the point it was something that made him happy because it took away the happiness of my sister mom and I and we knew that he was going to be retaliatory because he always was when he didn't get his way but I guess I didn't think that like it'd be with inanimate objects and as time went on we found other things that he'd done like slash the wires on our new Christmas tree that we just bought that and he tried this year. I mean, he tried multiple things. He tried to clog toilets, but I think what was really weird to us or kind of disturbing was the fact that he went out while there were officers and law enforcement standing in our house and he snuck out behind their backs and did this. So, you know, the law's already there and he's not really abiding by it with them present. What's that to say when they're not present what's he gonna do and the other part was as chris pointed out it's still half his pool yeah and and now i had to take the money and come up with the money to replace it 
and to have it reinstalled and it was just it was just nonsense it's like a childish stupid manipulative thing to do that was one thing but the next thing that he did the very day after he was served we went to the high school you your sister and I to have a meeting I had a meeting set up with the attorney we met with DHS that morning and while we were doing that he went to the bank and pulled all the money out of our savings account it wasn't a little sum it was kind of a large amount he completely wiped it got a cashier's check closed the account actually we actually knew that too because we were in the in the attorney's office office, Mm -hmm. and we'd taken pictures of all the accounts before to know everything that was in them and pulled it up to show her for documentation and it was wiped yeah so that's another thing like uh, we've kind of mentioned before know your financial backgrounds make sure you have records of it if you can't physically move the money make sure you have a picture of it because that will come into play in some point of your case or situation. One of the things that I did, I really considered taking half of it, my 50%. But at the same time, I thought, you know, I'm better than that. It can sit there. And I really thought he might take it, but I also thought it would show the court how greedy he is if he took it all. Because we also had cash here at home and he took that the night that he left. And and that, of course, I can't prove the actual amount or prove, although I will say that Chris and other people have seen, have seen, the, yeah. have seen the, the cash in the sock because he kept it in a sock, let's be honest. Which, again, that's another whole mental thing. Who, who puts cash in a sock? He took all the money that he could get his hands on just to be spiteful and make sure I couldn't get it. Now... With that being said, here's the other part I want to point out to people that are thinking about doing this. Because when that happened, my attorney then filed an order or a motion with the court. So the court ordered that our assets were frozen. So basically it was where he had to give the money back that he'd taken out of savings. And it took a while to get it and he gave part of it back but he still hasn't given all of it back because part of it was spent. And also, when we are talking about frozen assets, that means that when assets are frozen, you cannot buy or sell anything that you collectively own, and you can't really acquire any more debt. You're not allowed to do that. So this is the part that people don't know about that I didn't know about. I knew I was going to be in for a long haul. I knew with my job I could do it. But when he left the house that night, he didn't pay any more of the bills. The only bills that he has paid since November of 2021 is the John Deere riding lawnmower, because it's in his name only, and your car that we bought together, Bria, that he has those two payments coming out of our business account. So technically he's not really even paying for it, the business is. And another thing that I'm going to point out, I know that most of you probably don't have a business or some type of business and divorce case going on like we do, but the thing is our business pays for our bills. So really... Not all of them, but a majority. It paid for like our internet, our cell phones. Right. 
it paid big, for several bills the big bills like our health insurance and different things like that he quit paying for those too yeah when when he left the business quit paying for those bills so everything was thrown back on my mom now here's the thing what people don't understand is that this started in november of 2021 and it's still going on. We don't even go to court until December 2023. So it will have been two years and one month, if we get there in December, of me having to have my things frozen along with his due to his actions. That's, you know, I can't go out and get a loan to get me through this time. I can't sell something that we have or we acquired together and, and that's the part that people, I think, really need to know and understand because I had no idea that it would go on so long. And while I'm sitting with money in assets and things, I can't touch any of it. Yeah, it's basically not doing her any <clears throat> good at this point. Basically, something that she took away from this is that if you have the option to pull out half of the money that you're entitled to because it's half yours, do it. It doesn't pay to take the high road when it comes to things like this that are fair. Take your fair share. Yeah, you can maybe have the same mindset perspective that she did where, oh, they'll eventually notice, which, yeah, they will eventually notice, but if your court case is two years out, it's really not going to do you any good to wait that long. Here's an example. Amelia needed braces and some orthodontia work and a surgery in order for me to see if he would help pay for that i asked in mediation that didn't go so well we've had to petition the court and just at the end of march we made it to court and the court granted that the trust which keep in mind the trust is the money that came out of our joint savings together can now pay for her orthodontia it but took, it's been like a year and a half yep. in order to get that money from the trust to make it happen i tell people that and they look at me like i'm crazy because they're like well that's his child too yeah and you know but but your hands are tied and the court system is so slow and backed up that you really have to have a plan yeah and we really had no idea how bad that the courts were backed up or how long it would take but if you think about it they're still backlogged from covid happening you know we've got people who quit uh they leave the judicial area or system whatever you want to call it and the thing about it too i don't know how this is in other states but right now in our part of southeast iowa the judges are traveling yeah because there's like a shortage or so few judges that they're going from different county to county courthouse so while you might start with a motion with one judge if you actually get to a hearing or there's you know like a continuance or something you might actually talk to several or have several sign off on things and it's not even the same judge who knows the case and we've run into that a few times and a real good example of this is one time that we had a court hearing we showed up and there was only one judge working that day in our area and they gave them like 60 plus cases to get through and so sometimes the judges don't even have time on their busy schedule to get through everything and yeah that's the thing we're not we're not trying to blame anyone or anything it's the overall system 
that has some issues that need to be taken a look at because if you're that behind and you have a lack of judges you would think that like higher up governor state whatever could appoint more to alleviate some of the situations because I actually feel sad for the judges and bad for them because they're doing the best they can with what they have and sometimes they get a bad rap because of this because the system's so backed up that people think it's the judge's faults when really their hands are tied too i mean once again it all stems from a higher up system and they're just following the orders that they're given and working within the circumstances that they can so one thing is just know that if you think you're going to get a divorce or go that route if it's amicable, I think it could go a little more quickly and smoother. But if you're in a situation like mine where you know it's not going to go easy and one party is going to want more or there's going to take some terms to agree on, just know you could be in for a long haul. Because like I said, it's going to be two years and one month if we get there. And the other thing is that maybe it's not the judge's faults or... I mean, it's definitely not the judge's fault, but like the reason that our case is so prolonged is also because my dad has continued. He's filed motions on motions to continue all of these court cases and hearings. So every time we'd have one, it would get rescheduled and that also is not helping. And I think like the higher ups really need to look at how many continuances are allowed and how many times a person can actually file one because in our case we've probably had over 10 different continuances that don't and a firing of an attorney well and a, yeah and a firing of an attorney that doesn't help either because then you start back at square one we'll shift gears and change that topic but just a little fyi if you're thinking about it really kind of think about your financial situation and how you can get through it because it, it's going to take longer than probably what you anticipate. Yeah, mentally prepare yourself on that note because it is a long time. After the fear part, I think we need to talk about our, us and our emotions and healing, Bria. And after the first part where he was served and we kind of chose to go back to our lives and routines and take a breath, I think at the beginning we were just exhausted. Yeah, for a long time. I was sleeping during the days because I felt like that was the only time that I could sleep because I knew that he'd be at the store. So, like, I felt like if I slept during the day, then I could be up at night and kind of watch and be more alert, which was something that I also never did because, like I said, I've only really ever slept for three to five hours. So, when I was sleeping for maybe eight hours, my body was not used to it and I didn't know how to respond to it, but I was just so tired. And when you're living in that constant fight or flight mode, it's not helping your body. Your cortisol levels are so high that it's making you literally on edge and impossible for you to sleep. And you know, people are like, take melatonin if you can't sleep. Well, that's fine and dandy, but when you're living with somebody that's threatening you and your life and... You're never sure if they're going to come or not that yeah, night. You're, you don't want to take melatonin because then if you do, you won't hear something if something's actually there and you need to be woke and alertive and be prepared so you can't take melatonin while I understand why people say that you just can't do that plus I'm not really an advocate for melatonin because the health and wellness part of me is like once you take melatonin your body becomes dependent on it so then you actually rely on melatonin to fall asleep the thing about it is that it's 
not just the physical toll that it takes on your body, because it does, it's the emotional toll, the stress levels. It's almost like a crash period. It really is. Where you're just like, okay, I got through that. Now I can breathe. And you almost have to just take some time. And and I know there were several nights that, you know, Emil, you'd come home from school. I'd come home from school. You'd be here. And and we wouldn't do anything. I mean, we wouldn't, even, we wouldn't even cook dinner like we normally Mm-mm. did. We'd just, we just kind of chill all night. It was kind of like we were on zombie mode where we were just making it through each day and trying to navigate, but you also don't know what to do because you've been controlled for so long. When you reach that period of freedom, it's a whole different shock because, like I said, you don't know what to do. You're not having somebody to tell you, you have to do this when you get home. You have to make dinner. You have to go do this errand. You know, it's a complete 180 from what we were living. I think an example that we can laugh at now, but it was almost sad when it happened, was the first time in the spring when we went to mow the yard and Amelia was trying to put the lawnmower back in the shed. And she come up to the house and I was up on the deck and she's like, mom, I can't get it in the shed right. And I said, what do you mean you can't get it in the shed right? She's like, it's not straight. And I said, the lawnmower's not straight? And she's like, yeah, I can't get it where it goes. I can't fit it straight in the shed. And I said, Amelia, does the shed doors close? Yeah. Is the lawnmower in the shed? Yeah. Then shut the door and forget about it. But we were so conditioned to everything having to be in the right spot. And the laundry had to be done and this and this and this. That it was almost like we had to retrain our brains because you were still going through that. And at that point, you know, we'd been out of it a good probably five months or so. And she's still worried about how she's parking the lawnmower because that was something of importance to him. And, and I think that's an example that you just, your body and your emotions and your mental state, even though it's done, you're so conditioned to live that way. And it's exhausting. It is. One thing that happened for me is after we filed for protective orders and he was served the next day, I went to Walmart, my mom and I, and we had to buy new curtains for my bedroom because I had really light sheer ones because I actually like being woke up to natural light and I had to switch and buy room darkening ones and you know here I am checking out at Walmart after everything just happened and this lady's talking about how her husband loves these curtains and how she has them for her office and her bedroom and she just loves them and here I am in the checkout line thinking oh my god this lady has no idea I'm buying room darkening curtains so my dad can't see in my bedroom at night or during the day and try to take me out but it's like once again you are living in this fear and you're wondering what's gonna happen and I'm just thinking about how this lady has these curtains just to have them and I'm buying them as a safety measure the emotions I was in the car and I'm like that's really messed up when you think <laughs> about it but I mean at that point there's nothing you can do and the other thing is that when DHS was here and we had we had some great people at DHS that worked with us that helped us but we talked to them there was a place called Families First that we went to for counseling and stuff and they all kept saying you have PTSD and we're like no we don't and and part of it is been that 
you don't even realize what you have because you're so used to living that way. So then we had to research and we're like, oh, I guess we do have some of those tendencies tendencies and some of those characteristics of PTSD. And I guess we do have trauma response. But like I said, to us, it's normal because we've lived it for so many years. For me, you know, I'm 22 and I'd say pretty much over half my life I've lived this way. So I am so conditioned to it that when you actually start questioning and researching and breaking down your mindset and how you were trained then you're like yeah okay this isn't normal and so then there's a lot of barriers to break through and you have to retrain yourself and reprogram yourself and your beliefs and realize that you know it's not going to happen overnight and healing healing is not linear by any means it comes in waves for everybody and I think even our situation you know I healed different ways than what my mom healed and my sister and I still think that there's healing that goes on for each of us still to this day absolutely it's just all how you choose to heal and you know we went to therapy afterwards and made sure we did some of that work but but we couldn't continue it well first of all not everybody wanted to continue it I'll just say it that way we couldn't continue it because at the rate for every half hour and not having insurance being paid and insurance not covering it I couldn't afford to keep us all going individually and then family as well so I did it for a while to make sure we got what we needed out of it and some strategies but we we actually had to stop therapy now recently we found out we can go back and it'll be paid for but that's another story but I think that's also a good thing to talk about. I know here in the U.S., mental health is a big thing. And in college, you know, being a recent college graduate, mental health is very real because you're balancing a full course load, workload, social life. You know, you're really trying to navigate life, especially after being in high school. And so I think that, you know, our mental health system should start within schools. I think that there should be something put in place for mental health regardless of what you're going through and there's really not and when you look at our counseling rates it's outrageous for even people with insurance so let alone people that don't have insurance it's just not feasible. So I think one thing that we want to do with this podcast is obviously we're going to be resource for healing and how to work through some of your issues without having to pain arm and a leg because there's so many things you can do yourself that will help your health and your mental health without having to go to a trained professional you know I went and I got told in one of my therapy sessions here Bria here's the canvas here's these colors you can choose from paint anger paint what anger means to you and I was like how do I paint anger I'm not mad anymore the situation's over and I was like well I guess I would use these colors red and black because that's what I associate anger with and it was just things like that where you know therapy was eye-opening because I realized that you know it's not what I thought it was I thought it would have been like a little more helpful and insightful which part of it was but it's different things like that well let's just back up because you had therapy after your dog bite yeah I've been to therapy a couple times and the thing about that is that was more for strategies and like some breathing and techniques and stuff like that and I think that helped for what we have went through with our lives there isn't going to be any one technique that helps or one thing 
And so that's that's part of the difference. But at the same time, I think we all needed strategies that we could use. And I think I think it's kind of like a toolbox of strategies as to what you need when. And we've built those toolboxes ourselves over the last year and a half. And I would definitely say, I know for the people that were involved in our therapy sessions, our situation was unique to them. <laughs> They've never, ever experienced anything with this. You know, you're telling them your issues and they're looking at you like you're crazy. And they're like, there's no way you actually lived this. And you're like, no, I definitely have. That's why I'm here. And, and, then, and then you'd play the recordings and then they'd have an idea like, oh, wow. Yeah. You know? but, but, but just to tell it and talk to it, they really would have that look like, oh my gosh, are you serious? They're like, I can't say they didn't believe you, but I don't think they totally believed you to the extent of what everything really we was. went through. Yeah. yeah. And so I feel like that was kind of an issue because, you know, you're telling your story and like they have to be supportive because that's their job at the end of the day. But I don't know. It just felt weird because they didn't really understand what well, think, we went through. I think we had hoped to go to therapy and we'd get answers and advice. Yeah. And I think our situation was such a mess that nobody really had any advice that was like, I can't say quick fix, but advice that they could give us right at that moment in time to help us with what we needed. And once again, I'm not faulting anybody, but you can't, you can't help somebody if you've never been in a situation like that because you don't know how to respond to it. And that was definitely something in this case where they've never had any clients like this with a situation or story I to will, the extreme as ours. I will say, though, I do think our DHS people, though, helped more because they had experienced it, seen it, right. lived it. And I think our social workers, huge in the fact that they validated some of our feelings and what we were going through and helped us talk through some of it. And some things that we went through, they could relate to. So there was still that understanding of certain things. But honestly, one of our biggest resources, I would say, would be my dad's sister, my aunt, who is actually a social worker herself. She works up in Minneapolis for Hennepin County and has done so for years and has a plethora of experience when it comes to different situations and abuse and kids and therapy and so she was definitely our sounding board and support system yeah we plan on having her on the podcast later on but that's also why i think it's so important for us to use our podcast and our platforms to talk about you know strategies healing emotions fear how to really overcome all of these different things because you can you can find somebody out there on your own but just make sure that when you do the research you kind of don't go in with too too high expectations like because I think I did that and it didn't really work out the way I thought it would with this podcast we're going to give you those tips and tricks and tools to help you navigate on your own and kind of heal one of the things that I think we did right at the beginning that was kind of freeing was you'd went out and celebrated your 21st birthday and you were telling us about this wine that you found that was so good. And so you and I had stopped at Hy-Vee one night and I was picking up some fresh fruit and you said, I'm going to go over and get a bottle of wine for <laughs> us. So you went over to get the wine. Well, I let's just preface. It's this blueberry chocolate <laughs> wine. And for anybody that knows me, they know I don't really like alcohol. Like, it's got to be really fruity for me to drink it. And I don't drink that often. 
really just in celebratory occasions. So when I had this wine that I actually enjoyed, I went, okay, yeah, we're going to get this. I know my mom's going to like it because it really does taste like blueberries and chocolate. It didn't even taste like wine, which is why I was so drawn to it. So I, co- I go over to hy to the wine and spirits part with her, and here she is on the bottom shelf, and she's like, here it is. And I said, well, if it's that good, grab me a bottle, and you can buy one, and I'll buy one. So we'll have one on hand at home. Oh, the first thing I should have noticed was that it was on sale and it was (laughs) the wrong brand that I bought. So I bought blueberry wine, but it tasted like nail polish remover. (laughs) Like if you ever had your nails done. We're getting off topic. We got to go back to the story though. Anyway, long story short, I bought bought the wrong wine. Even threw in the cheap plastic wine glasses. I can't remember if you bought them or I did. But anyway, one of us bought the cheap plastic wine glasses. And so when Amelia got home, we were like, okay, we're going to we're gonna have a toast to just us taking our lives back and us girls getting things done and moving forward. And so Brie opens up the wine and pours us all this glass and sit there. And instead of doing cheers, we decide we're going to go around the group and talk about like you know what we're not gonna miss so yeah. i'm like here's to cheers to not having to look for your cell phone anymore cheers, and cheers to not having to do laundry here's cheers to not getting woke up at four in the morning for no reason i mean we just we just kept going around the circle all three of us and all three of us were naming different things and and this went on for a while yeah and so a lot. but it was good because it was like that was kind of our own therapy to get it off of our chest like all the things that annoyed us that we had to do we like could cheers them and we could laugh about it and know that we were never going to have to do that stuff again. So it was definitely freeing in that way because, you know, I think it was our first moment of healing and stepping into our power without us kind of knowing it. But it was just nice to get that weight lifted off our chest that we've had for so many years and everything that we were tired of doing, especially up until the end. But, but then we took a drink and then it all went south. <laughs> That's when we started <laughs> and tasting we, nail polish remover. And we all dumped out our glass after one sip. And that was the end of that bottle of wine. Needless to say, Bria does not pick out our alcohol choice anymore. No, definitely not. But, you know, some, sometimes you have to do those things. And it's not about what's right. It's about what feels right to you or what you need at that time. And that was just taking a moment that was intimate between us three girls and we really hadn't tried to rehash everything because it was fresh. We were just trying to get through it. But that was our first chance that we could put some distance between how we used to live and how we were going to start living. So I think on that note, we'll kind of end there. But this is kind of our introduction episode into healing and finding our true selves and how to navigate and transition into our new lives or if you're in a situation like that how to really take the next step into finding yourself again and reclaiming your voice your voice and your power and doing it all from a place of love for yourself because I think that's also something that's going to be an interesting topic but really everything in life stems from you and if you've been beat down so many times by somebody your self-love Lacks And coming from me, I didn't think that was possible, but it's so true. We'll talk more about healing and resources, guilt, guilt, love, love, different things like that in the next upcoming weeks. Next episode will drop Monday at 5 a.m. You can find us on Spotify, Apple Music, iHeartRadio, at our website, cheeseandcrackers.us. 
if you don't have a place to get your podcasts, but we would love to have you keep listening and feel free to reach out to us if you want to. If you have any questions, comments, suggestions, we're all ears as we are still on this journey and navigating it and kind of speaking our truth still. Our email is cheeseandcrackersus at gmail.com. We will catch up with you next week.